This podcast provides a platform to discuss important questions and complex issues, challenge the status quo, and confront the boundaries of the establishment. I'm retired police chief Daniel Hahn. I went from being arrested at 16 to serving over 34 years in law enforcement. My goal is to keep you informed with news not being reported, voices not being heard, and the untold history of how we got here so that we can create a way forward. My guest today is none other than Robert Rooks, who I've known for several years. Robert Rooks is one of the nation's premier criminal justice reformers with more than two decades of experience as a grassroots organizer, strategist, and movement leader. Robert is currently the chief executive officer of the Reform Alliance. Under Robert's leadership, Reform is is promoting smart reforms that reduce unnecessary supervision and create pathways to work and well-being. Reform has won major legislative reforms to transform probation, and parole systems in states as diverse as California, Georgia, and Mississippi, and lifted up experiences of people on supervision to educate the public and build support for broader change. Prior to joining Reform, Robert co-founded and served as the CEO of Alliance for Safety and Justice, the largest state-by-state public safety reform organization in the nation. Throughout his career, Robert has built a pipeline of leaders either as crime survivors or people living with old records. Intimately know the failings of the criminal justice system to provide safety for communities. Prior to his leadership at ASJ, Robert served as the first criminal justice director for the NAACP, where he launched the Misplaced Priorities, Educate, Not Incarcerate campaign, partnering conservatives and liberals to reduce state prison populations Robert also served as an adjunct professor at the University of Connecticut School of Social Work, St. Joseph's College, and Central Connecticut State University. Welcome to A Way Forward, Robert. Chief, Chief, thank you so much for having me. Good to see you. (laughs) No, it's been a while. You've you've traveled across the country since I think the last time we saw each other. Yeah, no, 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 I have, and you you retired, You, you moved on from uh from 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 your last uh gig but it's been good to see you and 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 see your leadership out there um it's important work what you're doing and good good to be on with you right now yeah yeah it's been good to retire i think 11 years as chief was (laughs) Uh, i I can't believe it i can't it went by so fast i remember talking to you right before you you went into that to that job and and just so your listeners know they they know you as an amazing chief and as an amazing thought leader but they may not know you like i know you uh as as, as a track dad <laughs> and, and those are the uh, days man those, those are the, were the days. days i was i was thinking about you uh with jesse who set up uh this um when when he told me he was going to to, to be um engineering this I, I thought about when we first met, and what came to mind was, uh, you remember that Apple commercial of the woman taking a video of her son, and then at the track meet, and he runs down, and she's running right down with, with him taking the video. It's, it's, well, now you're you like, telling all my secrets. Now. <laughs> that, if that's you, if I've ever thought of someone, man, you used to run right down with your daughters. Oh man, finish line. <laughs> you bring it back old memories. I miss those days. My, I, I, I believe your sons and my daughters did the same thing. They stopped running track and uh, yeah, 
they broke my heart when they stopped running track, but they continued with other sports. So I still get yeah. to compete. So as long as they stay active, that's that's the goal in my house. Stay active. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, good families staying active and they go to college like your son is and my oldest daughter is. So um, that's what it takes is support, which is kind of what we'll be talking about today. And yeah, yeah. Before I get to my first question, you, you brought up track. I think that's a, a great way to start. Um, to me, I know what I felt about track specifically, but sports in general for my daughters is it was way more than just athletics. It taught them so much, especially track. That first year, my oldest daughter ran track. I watched her mature uh, tremendously in just that one season. It went from walking her to the bathroom at the beginning of track season. Yes. <laughs> tell me, Daddy, no, I got this. And yeah. that was all because of track. So, you know, in the line of work you're in, uh, what, what what do you think is the benefit for kids growing up, young adults growing up, and having a team or sports that they're involved with, with good coaches and those sort of things? I mean, not not even for today's generation. For, for me, you know, I was active um, in football and track, uh, and I – see that participation is saving my life. Like I remember the day when I made the decision to go to practice as opposed to going to do something where I was invited to do that, um, I would have gotten a lot of trouble uh, for, for doing. And it was sports that, that, that kept me going. Uh, I can't remember uh, a summer, uh, a fall or a spring where I wasn't doing something in sports. And that's how I raised my sons, right? Since age six. Um, my youngest actually uh, started track at five. And, you know, they've been in track, lacrosse, football, soccer. Uh, you, you, you think it, uh, they've been in it. Um, and, and, and so much of their lives have been shaped, shaped by sports. And I'm proud of them. You know, they're good young men, you know, making good decisions, you know, on their way to college, never really saw themselves as not going to college. And largely, that's because of of sports. The other thing to your point in terms of uh, what you saw in your daughter, I saw the same thing um, in, in, in my sons, you know, sports teaches um, independence. Um, it teaches uh, young people about their body, teaches them about competition, um, teaches them in team sports, how to be a team player and a role player. And it teaches um, how to respond to authority. Uh, all those things are things that they're going to need uh, to be successful in life. So I love sports. Sports has been a key part of my life and key part of my son's life. And, and, and so for, for society, you know, at, at large, I would love for us to go back to uh, a community that supported sports. You know, you, you look at the Williams sisters in the movie, right? It's like, is their access to a tennis court? You know, when I grew up, those boys and girls clubs and YMCA's, we don't have that uh, anymore. It's, it's, it's not invested in the same way. Um, a lot of those YMCA's turned into, you know, health health clubs. Yep. Uh, we need to go back to community centers and encouraging our, our young people to get off. You know, I, I get the gaming, I get the computer stuff, and that's always going to be with us. But we need to encourage our young people to also get out the house, go play, go do something, be active. You know, it's interesting you uh, said what you said at the beginning when you said if you didn't have, there was a time, a moment, or a day that, uh, you had a choice to go to practice or do something that would have got you in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm one that always tells people, if you look at, uh, since we'll be talking about the criminal justice system today, if you look at a, 
a good percentage of the people that are in custody, whether it's prison or jail or some other form of custody setting, you change one thing in their lives and they probably wouldn't be there. So from in my case, I was adopted at three months old. So I always, always think if my mom hadn't adopted me, if my mom and dad hadn't adopted me, I'd have grown up uh, bouncing around from foster home to foster home. I guarantee you my life would be different than it is now. So yeah. that's just one thing that brought many other things. But um, so I think that's a good uh, jumping off place to start about criminal justice, because I think a lot of times we as a society have a different impression of who's in custody. So my first question is, you know, when we're growing up, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I'm sure you were too, growing up, people asking me, what do you want to do when you get older, right? And, you know, people are answering, I never answered this way, but people are answering, you know, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer, I want want to be a construction worker, mechanic, or, you know, they have an answer a lot of times. Uh, I have to say, I've never heard an answer that says, I want to, I want to be a leader in the criminal justice reform industry. So, uh, uh, I don't even know if it's an industry and just in that kind of work and that line of, of, of work. So, uh, how did you get involved in this work that now you've probably spent a good portion of not only your professional life, but a lot of your personal energy and life in also. So how, how did you get involved in this lineup? Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. And, and you're right. You know, growing up, uh, I used to want to be a, a fireman or a math teacher. I mean, those, those would be the answers. Um, fireman? Fireman, yeah. I'm sorry, Chief. <laughs> <laughs> that was it, man. Um, in some ways, I think I am a fireman. Um, you know, yeah. but... but um, but yeah, so those would be the answers. But I grew up in, in Southern Dallas um, in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I saw my working class community uh, fall apart uh, in front of my eyes because of uh, the influx of, of crack cocaine. Uh, the crack epidemic hit, hit our neighborhood. We were a neighborhood um, of, of working class people. You know, my mom was a nurse. Um, my neighbor um, was a mechanic. I had one that was a mechanic, another that was a social worker. Uh, one that went on the small beauty supply store, but that was our that was our neighborhood growing up. And um, when when crack hit, it 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 changed everything. Um, people lost their homes. Um, people became homeless. Um, it destabilized families and impacted uh, my my own family. And I, and I saw that shift happen in a matter of three to five years. Um, and then later, um, in the early nineties, uh, I saw violence. Um, and, our, and, and our communities uh, be, be become more of a more of an issue. Um, it wasn't a situation where you watch like New Jack City or you know these 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 shows where you know police coming and cracking down um, on on um, on you know crack or or the violence. In the early '90s, late '80s, we were left to deal with a lot of that stuff ourselves, like the community and. Um, there was significant, what I thought, disinvestment, um, and people were hurt. Um, people um, were killed. And when you say was, disinvestment, what do you mean? I mean that, like, look at it now, right? I think I think we are doing better. Um, you know, there's a, 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 a holistic conversation happening around um, the opioid epidemic, right? Where there's there's you know treatment programs, and there there it's it's not all invest in police. Right, it's 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 a different conversation, and that's the conversation I wish we would have had in 1980. Um, it was just one conversation um, eventually, and so 
um, you know, we I lost friends to violence, and it was at my best friend's funeral that I was I was done. I was like, you know, I I need to make sure that the next generation doesn't experience what what I'm experiencing, what we and my friends were experiencing. So I committed myself. I didn't know what it was at that time, um, but to engage um, and change and making things different. Uh, I went to undergrad at Prairie and University, HBCU, learned a lot, um, and then graduate school at University of Connecticut, where I learned to be a change agent. Um, you know, it was it was one of those schools that was shaped from the 70s, where I talked a lot about, you know, the role of advocates, and, and um, that was something that appealed to me. Um, and I began knocking on doors, talking about public safety uh, pretty early on, talking about 1997. You probably uh, what, 19, 20 years old, something right around there? I was 22, I think. That's right. You've been doing 22. it for a while. I've been doing it for a while. Yeah. Yeah, for, for a good while. Um, and and so I remember my early conversations, Chief, uh, talking to people really with the open-ended question, um, what would make your life better? And they talked to me. I was in Hartford, Connecticut, um, a community hit by poverty. Um, and overwhelmingly, people would say, you know, I want my kids to be able to play outside. You know, I, I, I want, you know, um, to not hear gunshots, you know, at, at night. And that involved me and engaged me in a conversation around public safety. The problem with that conversation that I learned pretty quickly was that I didn't have the resources to really respond to deal with it. Um, you know, it, the only thing that was made available to the community was more cops. And as you and I have talked about, you know, police can't rest their way out of some of these issues and problems. And so uh, we were we were faced with significant challenges, um, but not enough support uh, to, to address it. And that began my my advocacy career, my learning about um, the failures of the criminal justice system. Uh, you know, I would see people get arrested and released, arrested and released and nothing done to address the root causes of what happened. Um, I would see people in addiction like like where um, I'm from, um, but not real access to, 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 to treatment when they needed it. Um, and that, that put me on the path to where, I, where, I'm, where I am now, where I'm advocating for real solutions to, to these issues. Uh, it's unfortunate 20, 25 years later, we're talking about the same stuff. You know, we're talking about the same stuff. You know? I wouldn't even and, think it's longer than 25 because you know, we're in, we keep going in these same cycles and what I've seen and what you kind of talked about is like holistic solutions. But as we see right now, crime is starting to go up in many of these communities. And the answer for the people that maybe just a year ago were calling for reforms, their answers always send, seem to be send the police in. Yeah. Right? So we're going to, you know, crime starts going back up again. We go back to the the same old, same old non-holistic solution of just sending the cops and then crime will go down again. We'll start talking about reform, then crime will go up again, then we send yep. them in. So it's and that's what I appreciate about you when we first met. I remember coming to your office years, yep, 11 or so years ago. And you you beat me to it. Like, you, you know, <laughs> you started talking about, you know, increasing stakeholders and solving uh, these issues. And I was like, wow, you know, I, I had met, you know, forward-thinking police before, but I uh, really appreciate it. And, and you were not, you know, Sacramento is not an easy place. Um, and you were, you met some serious challenges, but I, I, I appreciated how you, you dealt with it. You always, as a person with integrity, you talked straight forward to the community about it. Um, but you also was clear that, that police aren't, aren't the way uh, 
to solve these 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 issues. And so I appreciate that about you. And and frankly, um, we we need to create uh, those types of conversations all across the country. Um, there's still a gap, um, especially now with, with as you said, violent crime has gone up everywhere. Um, it was, it's not criminal justice reform as the reason. Right, <laughs> violent right. crime went up in the South as much as it's gone up in the coast where reform has happened. Um, it's, it's, it's just what happened after the epidemic, you know, it's, you know, the pandemic, I would say, um, you know, it, 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 we, for three years, two and a half years, were isolated, isolated from each other, isolated from the systems that support us. Um, you know, some of us uh, became impacted um, in terms of our mental health. Um, and then, you know, poverty uh, skyrocketed. And so those are the conditions where you see crime going up. And, and so I think the solutions is to come together as a community to, to address them and, and, and solve them institution by institution. Um, that, that's, that's what you know, I, I try and do in, in, in my work. And I think that's, what, that's what's needed. Well, I think experiences help, right? I, I grew up in a similar neighborhood as you described that was already you know, high poverty and then the crack epidemic hit and it just devastated the neighborhood even more. And, my younger brother was killed in drugs in Sacramento, and I watched friends get shot. I watched my first murder when I was nine. So uh, it's one of the reasons why I teach history so we know how we got here. Mm. I think those experiences help us understand that some of these things we've done in the past are not going to work just because we do them again, right? And right. so one of the things I think people don't know, I know I didn't know. Um, I knew you had left, and but I didn't know. Uh, the role that Meek Mill had in what you are doing now. So maybe talk a little bit about how Meek Mill, uh, you know, a rapper, performer, um, what what is his role in the Reform Alliance that you run now? Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for that question. Uh, Reform Alliance, uh, we're a national organization. Uh, we exist to change laws, uh, system and culture uh, to reform our nation's community supervision system or probation and parole. Uh, we were founded after Meek was unjustly incarcerated about, about five and a half years ago. Uh, you see, Meek was on probation at that time his entire adult life. Um, and he had a judge that had an inappropriate obsession with him. I mean, the judge would tell him uh, what music to make, um, you know, whether or not. It's part of the condition of his probation. Yeah, well, in conversation with him, right? Yeah. And, and where, where uh, you know, he should go and do a concert and um, even, you know, try to control his purse. Um, and so it was inappropriate. Um, in Philadelphia, it's not uh, un uncommon for this to happen with, 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 with some of the judges there. Um, and Meek was shooting a music video and, and popped the wheelie on a motorbike and she didn't like it. And so she called him in front of the the courts and gave him a two to four year prison sentence um, as as a technical violation of, of probation. Um, by this time, I'm talking about five years ago, so you know Philadelphia Eagles had won the Super Bowl. You know, Meek's a huge Philly fan. His song was like the anthem that year. He became international kind of influencer, and people heard about it. <clears throat> people were upset, um, and the culture woke up on the on this specific issue and demanded Meek's release. Um, and to Meek's credit, when he came out, um, he said that this is not just about me, it's about the 4 million people on probation and parole in this country who's free but not free, right? Who's living their life with 
lodge with these stipulations um, that aren't aligned with um, with with their um, offense, and and you know we need to do something about it. And that's how Reform Alliance was born. We we exist to change laws um, first. We've changed uh, 16 pieces of legislation in 10 states, uh, including California. Uh, we created a pathway for 650,000 people to exit the system. Um, and now what we're doing is also partnering with organizations um, around uh, employment pathways, right? Ensuring that as people uh, get off of probation, that they get jobs, get housing, supportive services, the things that we know people need in order to ensure success. You know, it's not brain science at this point. We know what's needed. We just need to, need to make sure it happens. I have a burning question. I, I, I'm curious, how does a, a Meek Mill, a Philadelphia Eagles fan get along with what I'm sure is a Cowboys fan? <laughs> we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it? I, I, talk about I, it. I would appreciate it if you would remind uh, Meek Mill that uh, when I was in middle school, we might leave what years those were out, but uh, my Raiders whooped up on his Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> so maybe we could remind him of something like that. So yeah. uh, tell me uh, from your view of doing this work for so long, uh, and then also now with Reform Alliance, what do you see as the biggest challenges or the things that people should be aware of the most that you feel could be better in the in the criminal justice system? Where, where do you think we're failing or not doing as good as we could in, in the system as a whole? What are the primary things you think uh, we should be thinking about? Well, Chief, I've always believed that budgets reflect our values um, and we can you know, have the rhetoric that we should, you know, be investing in, you know, treatment and housing and jobs. Uh, but if we take a look at um, our budget, city, county, state budgets, where's the money going? And I think we we need to make sure that the budget truly reflects addressing root causes of crime, um, getting people the help that they need, the supportive services that they need. We're a long way from there. Um, and so if there's one thing I would say, just follow the money. Uh, and we we need to make sure we got the rhetoric now. A lot, a lot, especially in California. You know, I've met with a lot of your former colleagues, system officials, probation. You know, these are folks that understand the problem. They talk about the problem really well. Then now it's like, okay, well, let's make sure these budgets reflect the things that we're saying. And and you know, it's it's not happening. And and it's not happening because of one individual. I mean, it's still a cultural issue. Um, and so we need to shift the culture. Well, so as we talked about earlier, uh, I'm curious your answer to this. I know uh, I've had to um, be part of these conversations many times, but you know, as we talked about earlier, crime is rising across yeah. the country, especially in large cities like New York or Philly or Sacramento. Um, and we had a, um, a horrific crime here in Sacramento a few years ago where this man who was on parole, he was actually a parolee at large. Uh, he broke into an elderly woman's house in, uh, uh, well, you know Sacramento, so uh, in Land Park. Yeah. He murdered the woman, he sexually assaulted the woman, he killed her dog, and he tried to light her house on fire. And whenever those things happen, rightfully so, the community is petrified. Um, they're angry. Uh, her brothers, her family were very angry. I would be very angry. I was, you know, I was uh, very disappointed as the police chief that this happened in my community. 
So yeah. you talk about these reforms and you talk about reentry um, and you talk about these things uh, at times like this, there's a growing group of people that say, forget all that, lock these people up and don't ever let them out. And I just heard on the radio the other day, they shouldn't be getting any services inside the prison. They should be busting rocks and stuff like that. So, which, you know, especially after a horrific crime like that, I can understand people's anger and, and sentiment, but what do you, as somebody that's uh, worked on these sort of things for so many years, what is your general, because I'm sure I'm not the only one that has said that to you. So sure. what is your response to people for real reasons, right? They see crime outside of their house or they see a horrific crime like that happen and then they respond in that way. So Chief, when, when we first met, um, what I was doing at that time was organizing victims of crime, right? Uh, at Californians for Safety and Justice, um, we organized you know, a network of, of, of victims who had experienced crime and violence themselves. Many had lost uh, sons uh, and daughters uh, to violence. Uh, some who experienced sexual assault. Um, and um, we organized them to have a voice in um, what should happen um, in, in, in criminal justice policymaking and decision-making. Uh, we did that not because we have a singular perspective on the matter, we did that because in many of these conversations in the capital in Sacramento, black, brown, and poor voices, victims of crime voices were not heard in these discussions. Um, and what all we were doing was say, hey, listen, there's multiple perspectives here. And I heard all of it. Um, we, would, we would have meetings with, with victims um, and some you know, would you know, break my heart and say, listen, how do I talk about restorative justice? Uh, how do I talk about um, you know healing when the, the person that murdered my son is still at large? Right. You know how how is that like? How can we? How how is that? You know, like walk me through that. <laughs> you know, and then and then we would we would have you know um, you know the person right next to her who has you know lost uh, their son as well, um, but is getting involved, making sure that, um, that, you know, that mental health centers are built, treatment and community centers are built um, because they don't want their, their son's loss to be in vain, right? They, they, they want something good to come out of it. Mm-hmm. And, they're stand, and they're sitting right next to each other. Right. Uh, and so to me, that's the conversation, right? It's, it's not that, you know, I, Robert, have the solutions. I just think the wrong people are at the table. And we need to get the right the right people at the table. Um, but when it comes to like when those moments happen, right? What do leaders like like us like? What do we what what do we say? Um, I say, a we have to you know support and empathize the best we can with with the victim. Um, we have to understand what happened, right? We understand what about um, the, the the criminal justice system broke down. Right, Some, usually there's something that happened. And so we need to understand that. And then we need to uh, then advance, you know, real solutions that are rooted in what happened and what, I, what often fears, what often concerns me and um, is, is that moments like that create 
so much anxiety and concern that lawmakers then want to respond to that moment. They do. They usually and do. Not, and, and, and not respond to like what's been happening to the community at large for the last, you know, right, right. six months, a year, three years. So that would be my intervention as a leader is, hey, like, listen, okay, let's, let's study what happened. Let's not jump to reactions. Let's not create a whole new law and name it after somebody, <laughs> right? That right. we're gonna have to deal with for the next 20 years. Let's actually see what happened and bring everyone at the table to to lean in and 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 share their share their voice. So that's that would be my approach. It's so interesting you say the right people at the table. As I've you know over the years, I've had the privilege to meet uh, a bunch of people, many of which have become good friends of mine that spent twenty plus years in prison. Yeah. Now they're out doing great things. Like here in Sacramento, there's an organization that was started called brother to brother uh by several people they're all they've all been in prison and the co-founder Merv Brookins spent 21 years in prison including in mm -hmm. Pelican Bay and uh, those that know the criminal justice system know how you get to Pelican Bay um yeah. but he's doing amazing things right now and I can tell you at, you know I grew up in Oak Park but I've only spent four hours in a cell at Juvenile Hall I've I've never been to prison other than on a tour Right. Uh, and I and I went home after the tour. I didn't go yeah. to the cell. And so over the years as police chief, I've been asked countless times. I don't even know how many times what needs to be done with reentry, with the criminal justice system, but specifically reentry. And so what I've tried to do is like, you can ask me and I'll have an opinion, but you need to ask somebody like Merck. 100%. Somebody that was in there for 21 years and has successfully come out. And I can tell you, I thought I was pretty well versed in the criminal justice system and reentry and things like that, but uh, I was pretty naive, uh, and I realized that after talking to Merv, and he started bringing up, you know, putting me into scenarios. What would you do if you were a parole agent and this happened? And he hit me to stuff that I never thought of because I've never been there before. And so when you say the right people at the table, to me, you know, you and I have college degrees. To me, Merv Brookins has a degree too. It's just 100%. Kind of and we have to value his experiences just as much as we value your and my formal experience at a at a university or something. Yeah, you know, you're you're so right. And, and you and I talked about the spike in, in violent crime. You know, what I've seen um, and some other data is starting to show is that the reason why we're we're managing it and in some places that spike is actually starting to come down. Um, is because of interventionists, right? People like Merck, people that have been on the inside, people that have kind of been out there on the streets when they were young. Now they're giving back um, by taking guns out of you know kids' hands. I know for sure uh, in Newark, New Jersey, um, they have uh, reduced uh, their violent crime five years in a row through COVID uh, because they have budgeted for interventionists to go in and um, address some of the, some, some of the issues in the community, which helps everyone. Helps everybody. Everyone, and so hundred um, percent, folks like Merck, um, interventionists, uh, people on the ground that um, are are really they're really the true heroes for me um, um, because they don't they don't have to do what they what they do. They they you know they went inside, they've served their time, they could come out and do any number of things, um, but they're choosing to go back. Um, many times in the community where they were in, 
um, to negotiate peace and, and, and help keep us safe. And so, so truly, 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 they should be at the table. Um, you know, people that's been impacted uh, by violence, diverse people who've been impacted by violence should be at the table. Uh, yeah, I would rather have them at the table than, than, than me anyway. They can tell us what to do yeah, for yeah. sure. I, I just always remember, you know, I, I mentioned my younger brother was murdered in our city after he unfortunately got involved with drugs. And I can remember people asking me, because this was a repeat offender that killed him. And uh, they, I remember being asked, do I want him to get the death penalty? And my answer, even in the moment, even when you're angry and still hurt that, and actually I was also in disbelief. Like I couldn't believe my brother had been killed in my city, in my beat while I'm, while I'm working. I, could, I couldn't believe it. And my answer was, I don't care because it, it won't bring my brother back. And so um, I think people would be surprised about, you, you just mentioned, and I'd love that you continue to mention, have victims at the table. And I think people would be surprised at what some of victims of some pretty bad crimes think. So last question I have for you uh, uh, is, what do you think are, you know, in, in places like California for sure, and, uh, and I know in other states too, uh, there are more people coming out of prison than there were, for example, when I first started shortly out as a police officer shortly after three strikes uh, laws and the get tough on crime and the zero tolerance that was really a result of the crack epidemic and the increasing crime. Um, so now we there's a lot more people returning back to community from custody settings than there was back then. So whether you like it or not, people are are returning to the community. So what do you think are the biggest things that the public at large needs to know, or at least you feel they need to know, that is needed in regards to reentry to people that have been locked up for say 10, 20 years in that environment that are coming back to our community? What are some of the biggest needs to have the best chance of that being successful for all people, for the person returning, for the communities? For the criminal justice system, even what what do you think are the are the biggest um, things that are needed in reentry? Well, first of all, before I answer that, Chief, thank you for sharing uh, that story about about your brother. Thank you for for letting us all um, into you know your, your thoughts and emotions around it and and what you said at the time. Uh, it means a lot um, to the conversation. So I really really do appreciate that. Appreciate you for sharing it. Um, so that's 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 thing one. I want to hold that. Uh, the the second thing in terms of your question, um, it's it's not it's. I, I don't think it's it's rocket science at this at this point. Um, I, I think I said that before. But people, um, first of all, um, they need not to deal with stigma. Right. One of the things that I'm trying to do at Reform is use our large megaphone. Um, you know, we have you know, influences a celebrity on our board, um, folks we have access to. It's my hope, it's my dream um, that it's, it's, second, it's second nature to hire someone um, that's uh, been in the system. It's, it's like, of course we would, like, like everyone deserves second, sometimes third, fourth chance, right? And so um, that's, that's what I hope is that we, begin to mainstream and normalize um, that, that, that language. It's important, I think, for us as a society 
Um, but it's also important to message back to the person coming coming out because uh, what we're starting to find just in talking to people, you know, at Reform, we do these job fairs all across the country. We, we had 6,000 people registered in New York City. We did it in Brooklyn. We had 5,000 people registered. I mean, it's we try to do it big, try to do it in a partnership with the NBA team. Hopefully we can come out West, um, you know, later this year or next. Uh, but, what, but, but what we find out when we do these job fairs for people that's been in the system is that a lot of them don't even believe they're em, em, employable, like, or, or worthy of employment themselves, right? right. Like themselves. Right. And, and they we grow need up to, in our same society too. Right. right. And they, they get the message about themselves. And they get the messages. And we got to do something about that. Like, like we, we have to create safe spaces for people to come home um, and to and and to and to work and get reconnected back to family and community. I, I'm committed to that um, in terms of my work. So, so that's let me, let me interject real quick. I don't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, you know, I, I mentioned before we got on today uh, a, a guy named Rodney, and uh, who went to Highlands Community Charter School, and yeah. I will never forget why he said he went there. So he had done several years in prison. He got out and Highlands actually like tracked him down. And uh, one one official at Highlands even drove back from out of town to meet with him because that he was at the office at the time. And he said the reason why he went there is it's the first time in his life that people cared about him and weren't looking for something in return from him. He goes, my entire life, if somebody was going to do something for me, that meant they wanted something back. And he goes... And so he was talking about what you just talked about, this stigma that you believe yourself. He, yeah. he, I don't think he thought he was worth much until yeah. people started pouring into him. And then he went to Highlands. He's doing good stuff now. It's so important. And we, we missed that in the, in the criminal justice discussion, right? We, we, we go straight to policy or we go straight to programs. Um, but there's a lot we need to do in society and culture and stereotypes and barriers. Uh, that 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 are out there that people feel we we feel it as black men right I mean that's a, that's a different conversation but mm -hmm. it's a similar thing right you kind of you kind of feel uh, you know you 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 take in certain things that society uh, puts out uh, that is heavy for people that's been um, in the system and so I, I want to help you know do something about that so that's one two um, I think you know housing is critical. Uh, jobs, employment pathways, entrepreneurship is critical. Um, and supportive services, when I say supportive service, I'm meaning broadly, if, if, if someone's been dealing with addiction, right, make sure those services are there. Mental illness, make sure those services are there, right? So I, I, we need those types of services available on demand, really, uh, to get people reintegrated back to society, reconnect with family, uh, and, and, and successful as, as, as they exit. Now, those are the things that I talk about because the, when I talk to people, um, that's what I hear um, the most is like, I mean, housing and job. Um, I, I had breakfast this morning with folks at Fresh and Fresh is a, a new um, um, company that gives bank accounts for people coming out of the system because so many people, some people come out with only their, their prison ID, you know, it's hard to get, uh, you know, state ID, and if you don't have state ID, then you're only, and you're going to work, then you're only dealing with these, these, these cash agencies, right? And they hit you 30, 40, it's ridiculous. And, and so you get taxed there. So, so Fresh offers you bank account on the spot. 
uh, as you as you exit the system. Like I love that stuff. Like we need to do more and create those those the supportive environment to ensure people's success. And what always surprises me is people call some people. I shouldn't say all. But, you know, a certain segment of our society call those handouts. And but but if if you've been successful in your life and if you've been around successful people. Everybody has had assistance in one way or another. Nobody gets to where they're at without help from somebody else. Uh, but some people we don't believe, I guess, deserve that help. But I think it's always good to remember that we've all had help. We Nobody got to where we're at in successful-wise without help. So, hey, I don't want to hold you much longer, but I, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, I, I love that you have always been like this and you've actually said it a few times today that um, you're not one of those kind of people that beats down other people for their opinion. You're somebody that welcomes various opinions. You're not somebody that thinks everybody should think exactly the same. So if there's somebody listening to the show and they might not agree with everything you said, but they also agree that we need to do something to help people be successful even if they've made mistakes and, and gone into a custody setting. How could somebody that's been inspired by what you say today and the work that you do and so many other people do, how can they get involved? How can they help? How can they help create a better tomorrow for all people? Yeah, thanks, Chief, for the, for the question. Uh, I First, I would say um, text us. We, we, we have a, a text link text reform to 81411. Um, and there you can join our community. Um, we communicate to our members a couple of times a week. Can you say uh, that again? Reform 81411. Okay. Uh, and so so we communicate to our members a couple of times a week. We let them know when legislation is being introduced or when we're going to be in your, your, your neck of the woods um, or when we're doing an event, a job fair. So that's one. Just join, join our community, see what we're about. Go on, go on our on our website. Uh, so that's one. Two, um, if you want to to get involved, um, there are a number of ways you can. One, um, we're we're looking for um, um, partners. So so there are organizations out there that are providing reentry support. Um, we want to partner with you. Like we we want to see what you're seeing, what you're hearing on the ground um, as, as it relates to the challenges people on probation and parole face. So, so, so we look for those partners. We have a grants program where we, we grant money to community organizations. Um, so let us know there uh, if, that, if that's of interest to you. Um, if you have been impacted by the system, if you've been on probation and parole and we've revoked and sent back in for a technical violation or something that's just doesn't make sense. We want we want to hear from you, and and if it works out for you, we want to share your story. Uh, share your story on our platforms. Perhaps there's legislation we can influence, and you can be a part of that. Uh, that's that that's key. And if you're at home and you're a donor, and you like, you know what? I, I like what this organization is doing. We're, we're creating real change, and we'll continue to do that with with your help. Uh, you know, send us a check. Right, like we to do this work, we need resources. Um, as I mentioned, we ensure that we we grant our money, so it's not all coming to us. Uh, we try to build ecosystems to advance the work, uh, but it doesn't happen without resources. And so, um, on our on our website, see where 
uh, you could you could email us um, and begin the conversation about how you can help us uh, continue this work. One of the big purposes of A Way Forward is to hear different voices and different opinions, because that is how we can make informed decisions ourselves. So if you are someone that would like to come on A Way Forward to express your opinion, go to chiefhan.com forward slash podcast. Chief, H-A-H-N dot com forward slash podcast.